Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing Word from God. God bless you. Come with me in, in your Bibles. I, I want to read to you from uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 9. The, the background of the story, trying to be, move a little bit quick, is Elijah has just taken out the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah. He thinks that the heavy lifting is done, and a lot of the heavy lifting has been done because he's taken out the false priests. He's taken out the false prophets. But still seated on a throne is the other side, the other dimension of God's authority, which is the kingly authority. There's the kingly authority and the priestly authority. He's dealt with the corrupt priests, but Jezebel is still on the throne. And Jezebel says to him, the gods do to me and more also if by this time tomorrow, you are not as dead as one of those false prophets that you just slaughtered. And so Elijah tucks tails and run. He runs for his life. He's suicidal. He's depressed. He's emotionally depleted. He's physically depleted. He falls asleep under a tree. You know that you're tired when you fall asleep under a tree in a desert. Uh, an angel feeds him bread and, and cake and water. And then he, you know, he wakes up and the angel has to feed him a second time. He says, now run in this food for 40 days. He comes to Horeb, which is the mountain of God. And the Bible says in verse nine here that he entered into a cave in that place. So it says there he came to a cave where he spent the night. And the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel, they've broken their covenant with you. They tore down your altars and they killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one who is left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Then God says to him, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And the Lord told him, sorry, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. Everyone say the Lord passed by. The Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was so terrible a blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And the wind, and after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave and a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied again, I, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel, they, they've broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets. I, I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the same way you came. Travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazael will be taken out by Jehu. Anyone who escapes from Jehu will be taken out by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have not bowed down to Baal nor kissed him. In other words, God is saying, son, 
it's okay, I'm still in control, I'm watching. You may be thinking that the world's gone chaos, but I'm still seated on the throne, I'm not phased, I'm not anxious, I'm not scared, I'm, I'm in control. The title of my message today is The Gift of God's Whisper. The Gift of God's Whisper. This is a magnificent story. Elijah is in a cave. Elijah needs to hear from God. I, I, I stand on this platform today, not because I'm so brilliant. I stand on this platform today, not because I have such a great gift on my life, or, you know, even though I give God honor for, for the way that, that he's blessed me and, and anointed me. But I, I stand on this platform because if I was to be really, really honest with you, the greatest treasure in my life outside of my Leanne and my family and and my salvation is God's whisper in my life. And Elijah, Elijah is in a cave. And there are moments in your life where you will be in a cave, where you'll be overwhelmed or maybe overrun by life. Life can just come at you like a flood. Life can come at you like a hurricane. Life can come at you seven ways sideways, it can come at you. And the noise of loss or the noise of devastation or the noise of bankruptcy or the noise of foreclosure or the noise of being made redundant or the noise of losing a job or the noise of being diagnosed terminal, the, the, that noise can overwhelm you and it'll put you in a cave. But the, the Bible shows us here that in the cave, what you need more than anything else is that whisper of God. In the story, though, Elijah is in the cave and the Lord meets him in the cave but prompts him to go and stand at the entrance of the cave. And as he stands at the entrance of the cave, he feels, he feels, a, he feels, a, he feels, the Bible says the Lord passed by. He feels something in the atmosphere. And as the Lord passed by, a mighty wind blows into the rocks and rips and Elijah is like barely able to stand and it tears into, into the rocks and rocks begin to crumble down the mountainside. But the Bible says the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind came a fire and the fire is like an inferno all around him. He just called fire down from from heaven you know, to earth on, on Mount Carmel. And, and, and he's thinking, surely the Lord's in the fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then after the fire, the ground begins to, begins to shake with an earthquake and everything is shaking. And the Bible says, and the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And then a gentle whisper. God speaks to him. I want you to know that there's a place in God where you can have his whisper. Why, why, why was God not in the, the, the wind? Why was he not in the fire? Why was he not in the earth? It says the Lord passed by and this, the Lord passed by and this, the Lord passed by and this. We know he was the architect of the, the wind, the architect of the fire, the architect of the earthquake, but he wasn't found in those things. He was found in the whisper. Why? Because God was making a distinction between his power and his person. God was making a distinction between his power and his person. It's very, very easy. It's very, very easy to almost lose God in his power. That we, we, you know, you hear people talk about, well, you know, the universe. 
you know, I just believe like the universe, like if you just have like positive energy, then the universe, the universe, God is like, no, no, sweetheart, I ain't the universe. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not some mystic, I'm not some lifeless, person, personless entity of power, of positive energy. I am, I am a God, I am a person. Do not confuse me with my power. I have power, unlimited power but I am a person that whispers. One of my earliest prayers, Pastor Ito, was uh, I wanted to hear God's voice. I wanted to hear God's voice. I said, God, I want to hear your voice. I want to hear your voice. The most beautiful gift that you can receive after salvation, you got to get saved first. Once you get saved, don't think that's the end. Don't think that's the end. Once you get saved, God has more gifts. The next gift he wants you to receive is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was so excited. In John 14, he says, listen, I'm going away. And they're all sad. Oh, He's like, why are you troubled? You should be glad that I'm going. They're like, how are we glad that you're going? He's like, because unless I go, the helper, the friend can't come to you. The advocate, the promise of the father. Unless I go, I can't tag team. You're it. And he can't. The Holy Spirit is going to come and He will lead you. He will help you. The Holy Spirit is your helper. So I'm praying. I said, God, I want, to hear, I want to hear your voice. And the Holy Spirit says, I can help you with that. That is a really great prayer request. I can help you. And I said, Holy Spirit, how do I hear God's voice? Like with all the noise and all the tumult and contention and everything going on, negative. How do I want to hear God's voice? And he said, it's really, really simple, Jurgen. The way that you fine-tune the frequency. You know when you... you, you Radio waves, you know, you know, and so you can, and, and you, you want, you want, to, he says, this is how you do it. Obedience. I said, what? He says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. It's the first, first thing that Mary said to Jesus. The first miracle was unlocked because Mary said, they've run out of wine. And Jesus is like, woman, what's your thing got to do with me? And he, she says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Greatest advice. So here's the honest to God truth. When we first moved to, to San Diego, I love Starbucks. Because I could sit there all day with a $4 beverage, or back then it was $3 something. And I felt like I was cheating because I would have like four or five meetings in a row. And I'm like, oh, they're going to kick me out. In Australia, they kick you out. Like, sir, you know, you haven't spent enough to, you know, sit at the, but I'm doing meetings and building teams and, you know, pastoring people. And I'm like, and so Leanne's like, how was your, I said, babe, I had like six meetings. But I remember one time going into the bathroom and I'm in, and like you know, public bathrooms, you know, that's, that's why, you know, if everybody owns it, nobody does. That's why communism never, never works. If you want to know what does communism look like when nobody owns anything, walk into a public bathroom. Somebody has to own it. Venezuela, one of the most beautiful and oil-rich countries, rejected the capitalism that made them rich, that made them beautiful. And now they've turned that place into what, sadly, the economy is like a public toilet economy down there because of communism. Anyway, I digress. So I'm in the toilet and I'm looking and there's like, you know, wee stains on the, on the seat and paper on the floor and, you know, and I'm like, oh, oh my God, oh my goodness. Somebody needs to clean this, this up. This is disgusting. Somebody needs to clean this. One of these workers, I'm going to go out and tell, and, the Holy, and, and it may not have been the Holy Spirit, but this thought goes through my head, 
you clean it. And I'm like, hang on, hang on, that doesn't... I learned in Bible college that when God speaks, it always lines up with Scripture. And I'm trying to find a Scripture. I'm like, there's no Scripture. This isn't God. I don't have to clean it. No, this is not. I'm not, I'm not, no, the Bible, I'm sure the Bible says that cleanliness is next to godliness and surely he wouldn't want me to touch someone else's urine. And and then I just felt the Holy Spirit say, it may be me, it might not be. I want to test how obedient you are. Because a lot of people are obedient when God says, hey, I want you to go and eat ice cream. The whole bucket, don't you quit. Don't you be a quitter on me. You finished that entire, like, I'll do that, but... And so, so to this day, I don't know whether it's God, but I clean every bathroom I go, every bathroom, every public bathroom I go in, I clean wee and poop stains. I pick up the, the paper that people, you know, they can't put it in the trash can. They'll never make it in a basketball team. But, you know, it's all around there. So I pick all the papers up. I wipe the, I wipe the sink. I wipe it. I leave it like it's, like it's mine. The other one was shopping carts, you know, shopping carts, shopping carts, shopping carts. I remember, you know, seeing a shopping cart up there and I hear, you know, put it back. I'm like, that's not my shopping cart. I'm not putting it back. Why would I put it back? I didn't put it there in the first place. And then the Holy Spirit again, like, do you want to hear God's voice? I'm like, yes, but I can't find a scripture about shopping carts. And, and it's like, you're right. It may, it may not be. And I'm like, oh, shoot. So now in, you'll see me, you know, taking other people's shopping carts back. And they're like, does he work there? Is he? I don't, but I'm just, because there are times, see, this is what I found. If, if I ignore him in those moments, I may not hear him in these moments. And I need to hear him in those moments. So I'm not going to ignore him in those moments. So let me give you, so obedience, there's no, there's no substitute for obedience. So three really quick points. The first one is, the gift of God's whisper is because he is close. Because he is close. Why a whisper? The whisper is God saying to Elijah, see how Elijah says, I alone am left. I alone am left. And God's trying to say to him, Elijah, you're not alone. I'm here. You can't whisper from a distance. Sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, what did you say? A whisper is something of intimacy. It's something when you're close to somebody. God is saying to Elijah, do not fear them. I, the Lord your God, am with you. I am with you to lead you. I'm with you to protect you. They ain't going to kill you. I've still got assignment. You have unfinished destiny. You have unfinished assignment. You're going to go back the way you came. You're going to go back. I know you fled from, but you're going to go back too because you don't need it because I'm with you. And when you go back there, you're going to anoint Hazael, king over Syria. You're going to anoint Jehu, king over Israel. And then you're going to go and anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, as prophet in your place. And he'll do double the miracles that, that you do in your life. You have unfinished assignment. There is unfinished business. And let me just tell you something else. I'm sending chariots. I'm sending my heavenly Uber to pick you up. You will not die because Jezebel said that she's going to kill you by this time tomorrow. I've made a decree in heaven. You will never die. To this day, Elijah never never died. He got transported to heaven just to stick it to Jezebel. 
When I finished Bible college, they, they sent me to New Zealand. I'm not sure whether I stole something, but for whatever reason, they sent me to New Zealand. So we had our first two sons, Jordan and Ash, were born in New Zealand. After seven years in New Zealand, God, God was getting us, God brought us back to, to Sydney. For six years, I, I pined for Australia. And in our sixth year, we built a home. And I remember finally finishing that home and standing in front of it. It's 1997, my, my beautiful second son, Ash, was born, who's giving us our first grandbaby this December in Jesus' name. And he's preaching a Beho actually right now. And, and, I'm, and I'm standing in front of the house and I knew what the Lord wanted was, was my surrender. For six years, I wanted to go back to Australia. For six years, I didn't like South Auckland. For six years, and now I stood in my driveway looking at the house that we built, Chris Aguilar, and I just said, God, if this is where you want me for the rest of my life, I'm here, I'm yours. Within two weeks, we go back to the Hillsong Conference in Australia where the same prophet who six years earlier prophesied that God was sending us to New Zealand now goes, where's Jurgen? where's Jurgen?" Pulls me out of the crowd, prays over me. I hit the deck and he says, God wants me to tell you your days in New Zealand are numbered. I just built a house. I just surrendered. I just said, God, I'm here for the rest of my life. And God's like, exactly. I'm taking that as, a, as, a, as an offering and I'm pouring it out. I was actually after your heart. I was actually after your... Anyway, and so, so now we come back to Sydney. So we do seven years. As, as we're flying into Sydney, as we're flying in, Sydney is one of the most beautiful picturesque panoramic cities in the entire world. The Harbour Bridge, the, the, the Opera House, Darling Harbour, Botany Bay, it's just stunning. And as we're coming in, I'm looking through the window and my heart is rejoicing. The weather is better than in New Zealand. New Zealand's a very small island, so whichever way the wind blows, it has moisture in it. So we have 300 days of rain a year in New Zealand, where we have 300 days of sunshine a year in, in Australia. And so I'm so excited, warm sunshine. And then I hear the still small whisper of God. And it was almost like a, a grief. It was almost like a lament. And, and this is what he said. This is what I heard. He said, Jürgen, Jürgen, when you get to Sydney, please don't become like Sydney. And I'm like, what on earth does that mean? And then it came a second time. When you get to Sydney, don't become like Sydney. And I'm like, Whoa. and there were so many positive things in the culture. New Zealand, where we lived in South Auckland, had a poverty mentality, had a poverty mentality. Sydney, because it's, it's one of the biggest cities down under, it's, it's uh, very progressive, it's, it's, it's financially rich, the, the land is abundant, but the people had become very materialistic, the people were very, very shallow, the people put there, and so I began to see, God began to discern, because if you become like the people you reach, you can no longer reach them. If you become like the people, you can't become like your culture. Our job is to overthrow the cultures in the world that are contrary to the culture of the kingdom. Our job is thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our job is to identify all the cultures in America and the ones that don't line up, that, don't, that are not congruent with a, a kingdom culture, we overthrow. 
there's a beautiful honor culture in America, so we champion that, we celebrate that. There are so many wonderful things in the culture that we amen because they're a reflection of heaven on earth. But anything that's not, we overthrow it. Why? And we replace it with a kingdom culture. Why? Because God moves in atmospheres. God moves in cultures. So, you know, people would say to me over the years, man, Pastor Jurgen, you know, you're doing a disservice. If you really want to grow your church, you need to, you just need to tone down the word of God. You, you shouldn't preach about this and you shouldn't touch on, on abortion and you shouldn't talk about, you know, how God created male and female and, and they were distinct and that God is the author of marriage and there's no such thing as gay marriage. The government, you know, just leave that, you know, leave all of those things. I'm like, listen, I can't. I have to preach the word of God. I can't dilute the truth because if I dilute the truth, I dilute the power. And there are people that are going to walk into our congregations who have been diagnosed terminal, their marriages are on the rocks, or they are overcome by an addiction, and they're going to need some power to set them free. And if I dilute the truth over here, I dilute its power. And so we have to, and so we have to overthrow the cultures of this world. I remember, in, in, have a look at this, Isaiah 8, 11. Isaiah 8, verse 11, if, if we can throw that one up on the screen in the NLT. This, this was the word of the Lord came to me because I, I, I needed a word from God. And the Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. The word of the Lord came to me. He says, listen, when you go to Sydney, here's the scripture to back it up. God has given you a strong warning. Don't think like every. If you think like everyone else does, you'll have what everybody else has. But you as a leader must think differently in order to receive differently. This is the control tower. It, the, 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 if, the, if the pilots are serving peanuts, you're on a dangerous flight. You don't need them to be like the air hostess. You need them to know where they're going, how to navigate the turbulence, how to nav navigate the storm. Uh, folks, uh, this is the captain. I'm going to be putting the uh, seatbelt signs on because uh, Control Tower has said that we're going to be flying through some turbulence. It's going to be okay. We're just asking permission right now to go from 30,000 feet to 35,000 feet, and we hope you're enjoying the flight on your way to Nashville, Tennessee, wherever you go. So, so, so that you, you, need, you need them. No, you, you don't need them thinking like an air hostess. You don't need them think. You need them thinking, navigate. That's the same as your brain. Unless you change your thinking, nothing changes in your life. The second, the second whisper, the second whisper is that God's whisper is greater than the enemy's shouts. God's whisper is greater than the enemy's shouts. When I went to Bible college, if I was honest with you, I, I had conflict from my father. And then conflict from my dad was difficult because he, he was so angry, so ashamed that I'd left mechanical engineering to become a priest. And I'm trying to tell him, Dad, I'm not going to become a priest. I'm going to marry Leanne. I'm going to become a pastor. But he didn't understand the difference. And he's like, why would you leave engineering? You can make 150000 a year. You're German, the Audi, the Mercedes, the Porsche, the Volkswagen, the BMW, BMW. Why would you leave? And he was, he was mad. And he was getting persecuted at his German club with all these drinking buddies because they're like, hey, here's Ronnie. Ronnie's son's going to be a priest. And they're all laughing. And so he, he put that pain right on me. And then it's, it's, it's one thing to have that conflict but what's worse than, than just conflict is when you add comparison. 
So I'm in Bible college. I already feel like a little bit of a fish out of water. I've only been saved five years. And I would see people get up and, and people would whisper that. His daddy's a pastor. His granddaddy was a pastor. His great-granddaddy, he's four generations. of, And they would get up and they knew the books of the Bible. And they're quoting things I've never even heard or seen. And, and, and they're eloquent and, and they got the, and the Lord. And I'm like, man, I didn't even know you could do it at the end of it. And I mean, they had all the nuances and come on somebody. And I'm like, wow, you can say come on somebody. And like they just had, they had all the, and it was just, I'm like, wow. And then I'm comparing myself thinking, man, I'm just such a failure. And then one day I'm sitting next to a, a young lady, her and her husband in Bible college, she's pregnant. They're having their first baby. She's got a name book. And I'm like, what are you doing? She goes, oh, we want to name our child. But we, you know, every name has a meaning and we want, you know, to make sure the meaning. I'm like, hey, what, 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 what do you mean every name has a meaning? She goes, you read your Bible, right? I'm like, yeah, every day. She goes, in the Bible, names have meanings. I'm like, the names have meanings. What? Like, it was like an epiphany. I'd never, I, didn't, I didn't understand names have meanings. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she goes, well, you know, I said, do you, do you think Jürgen might be in there? She goes, well, let's have a look. It was a thick little book. So we go, so we go into J's. And sure enough, Jürgen was in there with a J, Jürgen. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh my. But it just had parentheses. And in the parentheses, it said two words, see George. And I'm like, oh. And it had little asterisks. And, and you go down the bottom of the page, and the asterisk says, George is, uh, Jürgen is a derivative of George. I'm like, no. No. What do you mean? I used to make fun of George. Georgie Porgy pudding and pie kissed the girls and made them cry when the boys come out to play. Georgie Porgy ran. I would do this all the time to George. And I didn't realize my name is. I'm like, oh God. And then I thought, no, hang on. This is just like God. Things get worse before they get better, Marco. I'm like, oh, there's a treasure in here for sure. Come on, let's go to George. So I'm, I'm flicking over to George. Jürgen is a derivative of George. I'm like, oh, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to get there, and George is going to mean something like the most awesome human ever to work. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that. But I get there, and there's just one word next to George. Now, one word's not bad. If the word is magnificent, that word, that word, you know, warrior. I mean, handsome. I mean, you know, I'm, but none of those words. George, Jürgen, George means farmer. And Rudy, I hadn't met Rudy, so I didn't know that farmers could be awesome, good looking. Do you know on the golf course, when we were playing golf last week, Rudy would always make me go first. He'd always make me go first. I'm Rudy, that's so kind of you, that's so kind. Like, is this like part of your upbringing, is part of your honor culture? He says, oh no, no, I was just raised, you always let age go before beauty. Age before beauty. It hurt me a little bit if I was honest with you guys. I think a couple of nights sleeping alone would discipline him to honor his past. I mean, I felt the stuff he says about Marco with, uh, I, I got you, Marco. Anyway, and so I digress. So where was I? Farmer. Yeah, farmer. I hadn't met, I hadn't met. So I didn't know that farmers could be awesome. So I'm like, nobody's in school going, oh, when I graduate from school, I'm going to be a farmer. Like it's astronaut, it's aerospace engineer, it's, you know, uh, secret service agent. Like it's, you know, Nobody wants to be, I'm like, so I'm, I'm, my, I'm, my, I'm in my Bible college dorm and I'm depressed. And God's like, why are you depressed? I says, because I'm a flippant name. 
I, did, I, I grew up in Australia with the name Jürgen with a J, and everyone's like, Jürgen, Jürgen. Oh, they named a soap after you? You're the soap guy? They used to call me Jürgen the Gherkin, yogurt. I had to endure all this stuff. And I'm thinking, God, are you kidding me? Cut me some slack here. Like, farmer. And God says to me, do you know what a farmer does? That beautiful whisper. And I responded, I don't care. <laughs> and God in heaven, you just seem like Gabriel. Have we got anybody? That's it? He's, oh, myself. He's like, let me tell you what a farmer does. I'm like, I don't care, God. Talk to the hand. The ears aren't listening. He says, a farmer sows seed. I'm like, whoop-dee-doo. He goes, and then brings in a harvest. What? He says, a farmer has sheep, oxen, cattle. A farmer looks at the land and he brings the treasure. He brings the, he causes a land to be fruitful. He says, everywhere I send you, you're going to bring the fruitfulness of my kingdom. He says, you're going to be a sower of my word. And you're going to bring in harvests of salvations and souls. You're going to have sheep. You're going to have congregations. And you're going to have oxen. Oxen in the Bible is leaders. You're going to develop leaders. All of a sudden, I'm like, Bonjour, monsieur. Je m'appelle Jürgen. Farmer. Comment t'appelles-tu? Farmer. Have a look at this scripture in Isaiah. In Isaiah, I think it's 28, 26, and 29. Have a look what it says, Isaiah 28, 26. The farmer knows just what to do, for God has given him understanding. I'm reading in the Bible, and God says, Son, the gift of my whisper you're going to know just what to do because my whisper will give you understanding. Jump down to verse 29. Verse 29. The Lord of heaven's armies is a wonderful teacher and he gives the farmer great wisdom. Farmer. When I came to San Diego, I didn't need to know anybody. I didn't need to know where we were going to meet or how it was all going to work out. I knew that I was coming here with the gift of his beautiful whisper and his promise that he will give the farmer wisdom. He'll give the farmer understanding. The last one, point three, is a gentle whisper is the language of intimacy. The gentle whisper is a language of intimacy. You have to be close to use the language of whisper. You can't whisper from a distance. I can whisper to my daughter. My daughter last night went to a homecoming with a boy. And Diana, I wanted to not like him. I'm like, who's this Maseo? I already don't like him. And then I met him. I'm like, oh, right, I'm going to let him know this is my princess. i got three sons and one daughter, and you don't measure up. I haven't met you. I don't know you. All I know is that you don't, nobody measures up. And so, and then I meet him, and he's like, oh, so nice to meet you, Mr. Matesius. I'm like, oh, God. 
stop it, stop it. And then he turns up with flowers, flowers. I'm trying to hate you, stop. Then he opens the door. I'm like, don't open the door, don't open the door. And Leah goes, oh my God, did you see that? The way he opened the door. And then he says to Zoe, he says, Zoe, you're so beautiful. That's a beautiful dress. I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, oh. he's just copying me. I said that like five minutes ago. I don't like him. I asked Rudy for advice. I said, Rudy, how do you, you got daughters, how do you? He says, Pastor, he goes, in, in, you cross the border and there's a bunch of graves people will never find. No, he never said that. He never said that. He didn't say that. He whispered it. He didn't mean it. No, no, just kidding. The whisper is a language of intimacy. I remember many, many years ago, many, many years ago, uh, hearing, hearing a preacher, and I'm going to do it in the Southern Baptist because just for effect. And this preacher's preaching and he's like, and I just want you to know the Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. The God in the Bible shows no favoritism over a man. God is not a God does not show favor to a king or a president. God has no favorites. And everyone's like, Amen. <laughs> like you're doing that. So I'm 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 sitting there, and if I was on if I was honest with you, if I was honest with you. I kind of felt like, oh, I don't know if I agree. But he's, he's the preacher and he's preaching and I can't argue with the scripture, the scripture says. But I'm like, God, okay, you gotta give me time out. I said, because if I was honest with you, I just kind of feel like, and don't blame me, you do this. You make me feel like I'm your favorite. I said, God, if I need to go forward on the altar call and repent, because if I was honest with you, I kind of feel like, the whole world revolves around me. I know, I know. It's probably just sin in my life that I haven't dealt with yet. And he said to me, Jürgen, do you know why? You feel like the entire world revolves around you. Sin? It's probably sin, isn't it? And he's like, no. He says, because the whole world revolves around me. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. He says, where do I live? I'm like, a residential address or a P.O. box, which is like I reside in your heart. Because I reside in your heart and the whole world revolves around me, no wonder. And he said, Jürgen, the preacher's right. I have no favorites. I'm like, but God, I feel like I'm a favorite. He goes, you are. I'm like, but you just said you don't have favorites. He says, I don't. I said, but Abraham, he was a favorite. Isaac, favorite. I said, what about Jacob? Favorite. David, favorite. Joseph, favorite. I said, God, you got favorites all the way through in the Bible. I said, but you just told me you don't have favorites. I, I don't. I said, but I said, God, I'm looking. And he's just, or however God laughs, he's just, he's having fun. I'm like, God, you got to explain this. Because the Bible says you don't have favorites. He goes, yeah. I said, and yet when I look at Enoch, 
Enoch was a favorite. Enoch walked with God 365 years and then God took him for he was no more. And the Bible says before Enoch was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And God says, there it is. I said, there's what? He says, the preacher is right. Initiating. I do not favor one person over the another. I love all of humanity. But when you read the Bible, which we encourage around here, you will find that it is true that I have favorites. Yet the conundrum is that God does not select one over the other. God initiating doesn't choose to have favor over, over Mike and not favor over Ito. God, God says, I initiating don't choose to favor one over someone else, yet you are 100% correct in your perception. I have favorites. And I'm like, then this is an enigma, God. This is a riddle. This is a puzzle that is too great for me. I don't understand. He said, that's why I gave you the Holy Spirit. He will reveal to you. And the Holy Spirit said, this is what it is, Jurgen. You're right. God initiating does not choose to have favorites. He says, but there are men. There are men like you and men. And when I say men, I mean men and women who throughout the centuries, going all the way back to Enoch, there are men who in their generation choose to become intimates. He says, when, when, when a man or a woman chooses to stand out from his culture, instead of getting caught up in all the flesh things and the human endeavors and the human pursuits, that, that they put all that aside and they want to become an intimate with God. He says, when someone becomes an intimate, my favor comes upon them. David would play his heart play his heart and when a lion or a bear come he would put down his harp and he'd take his sling and he'd go after them but he was a worshipper in private because he would worship because he would be intimate in private my favor came upon him God's favor is towards those who are intimate. When you become an intimate, His favor, and then you walk with favor in the earth. I want you to know that God doesn't just choose to favor one over the other, but there are men and women who through the centuries choose that they will stand out from my generation and I will choose you. I will be intimate with you. And that intimacy unlocks a favor over your life. Come on, let's, let's stand to our feet. The greatest gift you can leave with today is the gentle whisper of God. But it begins, it begins with a surrender to Jesus. Listen to me, religion is the greatest counterfeit. It is the greatest counterfeit to intimacy with God because religion has all the accoutrements. It has all the doxology, it has all the entrapments and enticements and all the stuff. It has the, it has the form, but not the function. The devil will make sure that, that there's religion, rosaries and statues and idols and cathedrals and stained glass windows and all of those things. And, and they, they can make you feel good, but it's a substitute. Don't settle for the counterfeit. Because those things don't help in times of trouble, but a still small voice, a gentle whisper of God is unparalleled. And each and every person can have it today. So would you just close your eyes and bow your head? If you're here today and you're saying, hey, I want God, I want Jesus. I need to surrender my life to Jesus. Would you lift your hand and I'll see it and I'll pray for you. Just lift it high and I'll, 
see your hand and I'll say yes. Who are those ones? Thank you. Thank you over there. Thank you. Who else is there? Thank you, darling. Thank you. Who else? Thank you on the side. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Who else? Thank you, sweetie. I see your hand. I feel like there's someone else. Who is that one? Thank you. Who else? Quickly. Thank you up the back. Who else is there? Say, Pastor, that's me. Thank you, sir. I see that hand. Who else is there? Just lift it high so I can see it. I'm almost out of time and I need to hand back. Is there one more? Thank you over there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Those three. Thank you on the side. Is there one more? Thank you all the way up the back. Yes, beautiful. I see your hand, darling. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. I see that hand. I feel like there's still someone else. Who is that one? There's a tug on your heart right now. Thank you, sir. I see that hand. No, there's still someone else. God is tugging on your heart. There's been a battle over your life. And today you need to go surrender. Thank you. I see that hand in there. I see that hand. Who is that one? Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. You know, so many hands went up. So I want to pray for you because in this church, we don't want you just to have a powerful experience in church. We want it to be personal. We want it to be meaningful. And I I want to personally pray for each and every single one of you and shake your hand. But for me to try to do that in this big auditorium, this big room, logistically is going to be too difficult. So I'm going to ask you to do something. Those of you that raise your hands, if you're with a friend, Ask that friend to walk with you. Just find the aisle nearest. I'm going to get down off this platform. I'm going to stand down here. And and I want you to come and meet me. We're going to kind of meet halfway. And and I want to shake your hand. I want to pray with you. And I want to lead you in a prayer. If you brought somebody today, would you bring them? Would you bring them? If you know they raised their hand. If they should have raised their hand, still bring them. And church, let's put our hands together. Up the back, on the sides. Come on. Come on, let's put our hands together as they come. Come on, guys. Sorry, sorry, just bring it right down, bring it right down. I mean, I can feel the anointing here. I can, can we give these beautiful people a great round of applause? I know it's not easy to walk from there to here. In fact, almost one of the most courageous things you can do is walk from your seat to here. It's, it's a difficult, but it's powerful. 
the greatest things in life are not easy. The greatest things in life quite often can be the things that have the biggest challenge added to it. Not just here, God telling me to tell you, beautiful girl, what's your name? Say, Vale. Wow, what a wonderful name. And Vale, I just see God's hand is on you. And it's almost like, it's almost like you, you've been doing the best that you can. And you're actually a really good person. You've been doing the best that you can with a broken compass. With a broken compass. And today the Holy Spirit is filling you and He's going to repair so that you know this is north. Because the devil's tried to send distractions into your world saying, oh, no, no, this is what you want. Oh, this is your true north. Try to distract your valet. But no, 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 God is going to repair and as you follow God, as you follow that true north, God, the things that you haven't even dreamed of are going to come into your life. God is good and He loves you. He loves you. I love this young man. What was your name again? Did you tell me? Alex. Alex. Alex, Alex I just see uh, the touch of God on you. And I see, I see uh, on, on your shoulders, I actually see the Lord putting uh, a, 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 like a yoke. And the, the, the yoke is in the Bible means responsibility because there's leadership in you. And the Lord would say, I have to put this leadership yoke on you. And sometimes the, you, you felt it and it's almost like, wow, I want to just party like these people. I want to do Vegas like these people and I want to do this. Like, but, but it's almost like there's a, a, a wrestle on the inside of you because you know you're destined for greater. You know, you know there, was, there was one of the greatest people in history was Alexander and he was called Alexander the Great and he conquered the entire world by the time he was 25 and there's no co coincidence your name is Alex Alexander because God's anointing is upon you and God's gifting is upon you and the Lord would say the Lord would say if you can say no to that pull of like immediate to say yes to the responsibility You'll have everything that they chase that slips through their fingers, you'll hold in your hand. But everything that you have, they will covet and not be able to get. You keep pursuing God. Don't be afraid of that responsibility. You're called to be a leader. Called to be a leader in this generation. God bless you, Alex. God bless you. All right. Can we all pray a prayer with these beautiful people? Can we do that? Come on, I want you to close your eyes. Valley, you are just lovely. I just got to tell you, God doesn't just, just love you. He likes you. Look at your smile. What a lovely smile, Valley. Come on, let's all say these words. Say, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you today that you so love me, that you sent Jesus Christ, your only son, on a rescue mission to save my life. Lord Jesus, thank you. When you picked up that cross, and gave yourself to be crucified. You died in my place. You broke the power of my sin. Today I am free. I am clean. I am forgiven. Every hold the devil had has been broken off my life. Today I am saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. What an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com 
or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.